lots and lots of spoilers. Welcome to Max Mike Movies and Beyond! Thunderdome. Well, here we are. Beyond. Thunderdome. Not, not, not much to see here, really. <laughs> huh. It's kind of a letdown. Okay, well, enough of Beyond. Let's talk about our current series, In Ancient Times, the 90s, Ooh. where this week we're talking about the first victory that helped forge the invincible empire that is Pixar Animation Studios, 1995's Toy Story. Yes, folks, today's movie is a nightmarish conceptual horror story of a movie <laughs> that posits the terrifying theory that all children's toys are self-aware, sentient, can communicate, and can move under their own power, all while sharing a room with your children! Ah! <laughs> I think we watched very different <gasps> movies, and yes. yet... These hell-spawned playthings are constantly watching children, judging them. And at any moment, they could strike, murdering the children in their beds! So the moral of this movie is clearly, never give your child any toys, ever. Ever. Have you ever heard of Elf on the Shelf? Because it's kind of the same thing. Uh-huh. I'm yeah. pretty sure everyone will agree with me as to the message of this otherworldly parable. And speaking of children's toys, I'm your Major Matt Masonish host, Max Levine, and over there, forgotten behind the toy chest, is that master of the universe, Mike Manny Faces Loose. <laughs> I thought I was Stinkor. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell that over a podcast. You're just a Stinkor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a little late for me, but that's okay. We'll we'll get into toys, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, toys. sure. Toy. Toy. Yeah. But in the meantime, like I'm willing to bet there is so. Oh, there is so much business we have. Mm. If you would like to see our entire back catalog of all our episodes, you can our go wish to book, our if you will. Yep, our <laughs> the toy chest of our memories. You can go to our website at maxmikemovies.com. You of course can listen to us on the podcast app of your choice, mainly the Google or iTunes podcast app. You can also find us on Spotify. And all under Max Mike Movies, which is also where you can find us on the social medias. You know, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. We are not on Etsy. Yes, yes, I am. I have little crocheted dolls of both of us. Yours has big <laughs> pins stuck through it. Well, mine has huge flaming eyebrows. <laughs> and giant pectoral muscles. Yes, yeah. huge pectoral muscles. Yeah. Okay, Etsy. Yeah, that, that's a that's... thing. No. <laughs> Shh, maybe someone will go look. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but before that happens, trivia. The show. And Ooh. oh boy, is there a mountain of it. So I, I pared it down a lot. This is, this is a Pixar movie, so there is, of course, acres and acres of Easter eggs, hidden jokes, all sorts of stuff most of which we're going to leave alone. Pixar, this was their first feature film. This was also the first feature-length computer animated film. Pixar always used to be, at least to me and I'm guessing to you, Mike, that company that made the cool computer animated shorts that you only could see at animation festivals. 
Yeah, like Tin Toy. Tin, yeah, and, so the uh, Snow Globe One. Yeah, the Snow Globe One. Uh, Luxo Junior. From where mm-hmm. they get their own logo. The yeah, lamp, we used yeah. to see. The, I think it was the Mike and Spike and Mike's animation mm-hmm. festivals we'd go yep. see, and sometimes be... they showed at the terribly twisted one. Yeah. Yeah. Sick and twisted. The yeah, sick and twisted. That was. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That was it. That was all we knew about Pixar. It never occurred to us they would make a movie. Right. And uh, this was the first. Yeah, like I say, the first one, and the. Uh, <laughs> The budget for this movie was $30 million, which nowadays for a computer animated movie is chump change. I think you could make a commercial for that. <laughs> Maybe, if you cut corners. Yeah. The worldwide take was $404 million. <laughs> this was the highest grossing movie of 1995, and you wonder why they have it has three sequels. Yeah... <laughs> this was also the first animated film in Oscar history to be nominated for Best Screenplay. And oh, did that piss some people off. Oh boy, did it. I mean, that was worse in some ways than Beauty and the Beast being nominated for Best Picture. Mm. That, that which created the category of Best Animated Feature. Yeah. So there's a lot to go through in this movie. Uh, the filmmakers wanted to use both Barbie and G.I. Joe. Barbie was supposed to be the Bo Peep character, the love interest for Woody. You mean Combat Carl? <laughs> yes, Combat Carl and Bo Peep. And honestly, you know, both Mattel and Hasbro both refused. They didn't oh, want their, their, their characters. Um, basically, Mattel thought the movie was going to be a flop. And, uh, sorry, no, Hasbro thought the movie was going to be a flop, so they never used G.I. Joe at all. They just came up with Combat Carl, which, quite honestly, is a lot more fun, especially if you ever see the uh, TV special Toy Story of Terror where Combat Carl, who is voiced by Carl Weathers, is awesome. <laughs> huh. What was it, but, the uh, the um, Evil Knievel ripoff in the Toy oh, Story Duke, 4? Oh, Duke Kaboom. Duke Kaboom. <laughs> the best thing in that movie. <laughs> Strangely voiced by Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and he he knocks it out of the park. That is one of Keanu's, after, after Ted in Bill and Ted, that is one of his greatest roles. Hmm. Uh, Mattel very clearly changed its mind in the next two movies, which are Bar- where there's Barbie's aplenty. In the third movie, she's a main character. Mattel's um, reasoning was also they well, first they thought the film would flop, but they also didn't want Barbie to have a defined personality. They wanted kids to be able to make up their own part, their own uh, personality traits for Barbie, because God knows when kids play with Barbie, it's the personality they're focusing on. <laughs> I think it's more like they just decided that kids would accept that she doesn't have one. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, Math is hard at the beach. <laughs> the beach. Tim Allen was, of course, not the first choice to voice Buzz Lightyear. There's always acres of them. But, you know, one of them, the person who actually was offered the job was Billy Crystal. Huh. Which would have been a very different movie. And when he, when he saw, the, he, he declined. Once he saw the movie, he said that decision was the biggest mistake of his career. And you know, after I, hearing that, hang on, let me finish this. John Lasseter called Billy Crystal's house to offer him the role of Mike Wazowski in Monsters, Inc. six years later. Billy's wife answered the phone and said, John Lasseter wants to talk to you. Billy grabs the phone and just goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that, you know, Billy Crystal, I could see him having done Woody. I think he could have done a good job. Yeah. He would have been a different buzz. character, but... No, not no, not Buzz. I don't think he no. would have done it, Buzz. But I could see him as a cowboy. Yeah, I mean, heck, I could even see jo- John Goodman doing Buzz Lightyear. Not yeah. saying that Tim Allen didn't do a good job, but we'll we'll get to the voices because yeah. I definitely want to talk about the voices. Oh yeah, 
the animation team perfected the the movement of the toy army men, you know, the green plastic one piece, mm-hmm. by nailing a pair of sneakers to a sheet of wood and trying to walk around with them on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the toolbox on top of the milk crate that Woody is trapped in is a Binford, the same type of tool that Tim Allen uses on his show Home Improvement. Boy, that is a deep Easter egg. Okay. Yeah, seriously. Now, this movie, and we'll talk about this too, this is early, early Pixar. And when you look at it now, the animation really has aged. Not badly. It doesn't ruin the movie. Mm, No. But there were some 3D effects that were just either too complex or friggin' downright impossible to do in 1995. So they used these little tricks to avoid them. Like, they couldn't do explosions. So, like, the viewer doesn't see when Combat Carl blows up. It's done off camera. I mean, I think that's actually a really good choice for other reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. otherwise, otherwise that, this is a already traumatic enough. Hair dynamics. That's why almost all of the human characters have short hair. And right. Andy's mother has her hair tied back in an easy-to-model ponytail. Also, flying water droplets were really hard, so when Woody dumps his burning head in a bowl of cereal, you don't see any splash. Yeah. When Sarge is looking through his binoculars, looking at the party guests, you may notice all of Andy's friends are the same character model as Andy, just with <laughs> different skin tones, clothes, and accessories. It was just easier to animate. We are two Gaulish farmers. We come with lots of accessories. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Allen said that Pixar originally wanted a very different pair to, to voice Buzz and Woody. They wanted Jim Carrey to voice Buzz Lightyear, Hmm. and Paul Newman to voice Woody. But they couldn't because they couldn't afford either of them. And the casting choices were supposed to represent how new Hollywood was taking over old Hollywood. Newman was the essence of old Hollywood, and Jim Carrey was, at that point especially, the icon of new Hollywood. Uh, They never used Jim Carrey, but Paul Newman went on to voice Doc Hudson in Cars about 20 years later. I've heard that. Mm. <laughs> I haven't seen yeah. it, but I've heard it. Yeah, well. Uh, this movie was apparently um, challenging to make. Oh, I bet. Because Jeffrey Katzenberg gave a lot of notes. He wanted more edge in the movie. Oh, it's his fault. Okay. Yeah. Pixar presented an early draft of the film in 1993, and the result was a disaster. It was deemed unwashable and John Lasseter said he just sat there with his head hanging in shame. It showed Woody as a sarcastic jerk who was always insulting the other toys. And uh, Katzenberg took Peter Schneider, who was the the head of Disney Features Animation, in the hall and asked him, why is it so bad? And Schneider looked at him and said, because it wasn't theirs anymore. So Disney shut down production pending a new script, the story team spent a, w- a week on a new script to make Woody more likable. And it, that was interesting, mm-hmm. uh, especially that part about uh, John Lasseter hanging his head in shame, because we'll come back to that, too. Ah, all right. Uh, during the production of the movie, Steve Jobs called one of the producers trying to convince him to use Bob Dylan as the writer and performer of the soundtrack instead I, of Randy Newman. I wow. cannot imagine a Bob... I think it could be awesome, but I cannot picture a Bob Dylan soundtrack to Toy Story. I'm trying to figure out which voice I would hate more. Oh dear. Uh, and it's a, it's close. 
Well, we've had this argument before. Oh, and I looked this up, and I am fi- I'm really glad to see I was vindicated because I always believed this. There is a joke in this movie that is based on a Far Side cartoon. And oh. it is actually based on it. The one where the toy shark shows up wearing Woody's hat going, Look, I'm Woody! Howdy! 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 <laughs> that is a reference to oh, isn't a, it a Gary bear? Larson... What? Isn't it a bear? No, it's a sh- um, in that, it's a shark. In the... Yeah. Um, in the Far Side cartoon. No, in the Far Side, it's a, it's a group of vultures. Oh, that's right. Obviously eating a cowboy, and one of the vultures <laughs> is wearing the hat and going, Hey, everyone, look at me. I'm a cowboy. Howdy, howdy, howdy. <laughs> I that totally a, remember that Far Side cartoon. Yep, that, is, that was it. Uh, and I, I am sorry to say, if you didn't notice, your most hated sound effect is in this movie. The Wilhelm oh, yes, scream. I noticed it. <laughs> Buzz is knocked out of the window. We get Wilhelm screaming. And once again, we would like to uh, inform, warn, and otherwise cajole our listeners not to look up the Wilhelm scream yeah. if they do not know what it is. Seriously. Really, yeah, seriously. Don't, don't. And Hollywood, uh, stop using it! Yeah, yeah. We were, Portland, give Wilhelm a rest. It was recorded uh, in the 40s! Stop! Yeah. Uh, Buzz's cry to infinity and beyond is actually a nod to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Because once the spaceship Discovery gets to its destination, the title appears, Jupiter and Beyond Infinity. Okay. Yeah. Uh, There's a moment when the Slinky Dog, who is voiced by Jim Varney, Mm. this is the only role I've ever enjoyed Jim Varney in, we best know (laughs) probably as Ernest. (laughs) You know Vern. Yep, hey Vern, from those commercials for, what the heck were those commercials for? All I remember is him. Uh, oh boy, these were not good commercials. <laughs> Quit running and hide. Yeah, it's the same problem with John Gilgood doing those commercials for. I think they were for Schweppes, but I all it was you a vacuum see, cleaner. <laughs> I, I don't know, because all you all you can think about and all you remember is John Gilgood. Time to make myself beautiful. Oop, springs eternal. <laughs> Look those up if you can. They're wonderful. Um, but at one point, Slinky says, Golly, Bob, howdy, which is actually a catchphrase from the Ernest P. Worrell character. Ah. That we all could have done without. Ernest do goes a- to camp. Ernest goes somewhere else. Ernest, uh, <laughs> Ernest scared stupid. An <laughs> Ernest, Ernest gets a colonoscopy. Yeah. 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 Uh, the presence of Bo Peep isn't a reference from the nursery rhyme, because that don't make a lot of sense. It's actually a reference to a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale called The Shepherdess and the Sweep. And his story is also about toys in a child's room coming to life when no one is looking, and I assume murdering the children. Well, now, to be fair, Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm were well known for frightening the crap out of kids with really, if you know the original stories, really oh, horrible Lord, stories. Oh, they, they are nightmares. Which All one was it where they ended by, by putting iron shoes that were red hot and, and they were they were burned onto the feet of the witch or something? I forget. I don't remember. So I remember I don't Cinderella's step sisters get their eyes pecked out by birds. Or the most depressing story I heard on record when I was a kid, it was Danny K reading the little match girl. Oh, it's Lord. the most depressing thing ever because she is. dies in the snow. Yep, she freezes to death. Hooray! <laughs> you have sleep well, children. She has a little happy face because, as you will know, just before you die, when you have frostbite, you start to feel warm again. <laughs> I'm not yeah. making that up. No, no, that, that's true. Yikes. Now that also it brings up a certain question of originality in this movie. 
This movie is beloved, by the way. This movie has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 89 critic reviews. That is a rarity. Yep. 100% approval. Now, this now on one level, I don't mind that there's certain lack of originality in this movie because toys coming to life, that's really old. You look at some of the old uh, Disney or Warner Brothers cartoons about toy shops and you see toys coming to life. Hell, uh, a Tchaikovsky with the, the Nutcracker Suite is about toys coming to life. Hell, there's a, that song, you know, dun, 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 that's actually called The Toys Have Come to Life. But nobody wants a Charlie in the box. Yeah, it's it, that part's fine. There is a certain familiarity in this story, however, that kind of... <sighs> look, in 1986... The Jim Henson Company produced a Muppet TV movie called The Christmas Toy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It has some suspicious similarities. It's about an arrogant toy, the favorite toy in in this little girl's room, which is a stuffed tiger named Rugby, who dominates all the other toys. He's actually much more of a jerk. He sounds like the early version of Woody. And they can only move when no one is looking. Although it's actually a lot darker. If a toy is caught out of place or what moving and someone sees it, it it can never move or speak again. It freezes. It, in effect, it dies. Kind of disturbing. And uh, it's Christmas, and Rugby discovers he is about to be replaced as the favorite toy by a new space toy, Meteora, Queen of the Asteroids. It was a science fiction toy that doesn't realize she's a toy and thinks she's landed among aliens. Hmm. Yeah, there are now there are a lot of differences because rugby, for example, has only been around since last Christmas, and what he hasn't realized is that every year there's a new favorite toy because there's a new toy at Christmas. But the similarities are really striking. Hmm. And I've never heard anybody address this. Maybe they have. Maybe I mean it's a moot point because Disney owns both Jim Henson Productions and Pixar now, so. You know, yeah, guess what we'll never see again. What? Oh, uh, the Muppets? Christmas toy? <laughs> oh, no, I don't think we will. I don't even know when they... I think I saw it once on TV. I don't know if they show it anymore. I don't know if it's available. Yeah, Henson's weird about some of their old stuff. Like, one of my favorite things ever was their first non-Sesame Street TV special, and it was the Frog Prince. I yes. adored the Frog oh, Prince. Oh, that was now, so cute. It's a little... Uh, primitive for the time because yeah. they literally had like three puppeteers and there's a couple of crowd scenes and it's quite obvious that somebody's got one string for ten puppets. Yeah. But it is really charming. It's got some fun songs. It's got Kermit. It's got Robin. Great Muppet Magic. I yep. wore that record out as a kid. I loved <laughs> that show. But it was like they just didn't release it or if they did it was like oh yeah it's over there in the three for ten dollar yeah. Like I don't, I don't, know I don't get it but whatever. But okay, see, there is a ton of other stuff. There are tri- there are all these hidden Easter eggs. There are little jokes in there, like the fact that the uh, the gas station Andy's mom stops at well, is a Dynaco, which shows up later in Cars. Well, you know why it's Dynaco, right? No. Oh, the- so there is a very now long dead gasoline chain called Sinclair. Oh and yes, and they had a Brontosaurus as their logo. That's they right. did. I actually had a Sinclair bank when I was a kid. It was this oh. green plastic dinosaur bank. Huh. Um, it's actually the only gas company I can think of that actually acknowledges where their product comes from. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So that's pretty much all the trivia I've got. So now, we well, on. although you've kind of already told us what it was, the plot. Yeah. So. 
in this Cronenbergian nightmare <laughs> Sorry, sorry. <sighs> in this childish... Were you scarred by this, Max? I mean, is this, this film movie hurt, hurt me? <laughs> I mean, in this childish fantasy, toys can come to life, move about, talk, and have complex social interactions as long as no one is watching. Much of the story centers around the toys belonging to a young boy named Andy. His toys are, I don't know, presided over by Andy's favorite toy, Woody, a pull-string cowboy doll. Woody's idyllic life is threatened when Andy receives a new toy for his birthday, a space-based action figure, doll, Buzz Light... (laughs) (laughs) Who are we kidding? It's an action figure! (laughs) Buzz Lightyear, a classic space opera hero who's actually R2-D2, but we could talk about that, who has no idea that he's a toy. As Buzz shows signs of becoming Andy's new favorite toy, Woody's insecurities about losing his place at the top of the toy social hierarchy become so bad that he resolves to eliminate his new rival. Initially, it's supposed to be a fairly minor thing of making Buzz fall down behind the bed, but it gets out of hand, not unlike a Lucy sketch. (laughs) And it goes too far... Uh, and uh, the other toys find out about this, and Woody becomes the pariah of the room, so he has to go through many wacky hijinks to rescue Buzz and bring him back to Andy's room. What follows is part road movie, part buddy comedy, and pure Pixar all the way. That's pretty much the plot. The Lowdown. It's an awful lot of toy jokes. All of the to- Most of the toys, excuse me, I shouldn't say all. There's a mixture of, like, made-up toys. Like, I don't think there was ever a Woody or a Buzz Lightyear. No, mixed well, in with, there, there with, would be after this film, Oh, yeah, there? excuse me. Before 1995, <laughs> there weren't. Now, they can't, you can't go anywhere without tripping over them. But yeah. they had the classy old Mr. Potato Head, Barrel of Monkeys. Yeah. Slinky Dog. Yeah. 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 Uh, the little wind-up binoculars. Okay, never oh, mind. Yeah. Um, the the, the <laughs> and, boat people I have problems with because it's not really a toy. Isn't she part of a lamp? Yeah, she's a fixture. But that's okay. That's a thing about childhood is kids make toys out of what they want. I mean, hell, that's a major part of uh, the fourth Toy Story movie. Right, Sporky or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, well. Uh, that Yeah, okay. Uh, so, uh, real quick, because you brought it up in uh, the trivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the graphics... Uh, there's certain things that Toy Story does, or I'm sorry, that Pixar does, shall we say, very poorly yeah. in their early films. And the first number one thing is people. Yeah, the people look weird. They do. The I think the first face we see is maybe the the little girl, the sister, and it's like, whoa, okay, back yeah. off. Like, can we zoom that camera out, please? Um, the kids just are not. There's a, a word that they use a lot in character design for animation, and it doesn't mean pretty, and it doesn't mean attractive. It means exactly what it sounds like, and that's appealing. And you can have a villain that's appealing and is not meant to be pretty. And to me, none of the human characters are appealing. I'm yeah. not visually interested in them. I don't want to continue to look at them. Things like the clothing literally looks like a sheet of vinyl. Like, there's no wrinkling. Yeah. And, Fortunate, yeah, sorry. Well, I could poke and really prod at this. It was like the, the amount of computing power they used at the time was phenomenal. Yeah. It would take hours to render a single frame because they're, they're trying to do so much. So I can excuse that. It's just like when you first watch this film, if you haven't seen it in a long time, the first like 10 minutes, you're sitting there going, wow, that's ugly. Wow, that's ugly. And then we finally settle mostly on the toys and it's okay. 
that's why it works because the the humans are not the focus. A lot of them are shot in, except for Andy and and Sid are shot in at distance. We don't have yeah. to look at them too much. Also, I, I speaking of the bad animation, the way the dog moves is terrible. Oh, oh it's yeah. embarrassing. It looks like I swear it looks like stop action animation. That yeah. Pixar had it, this movie is totally worth seeing. Ju- if only, and there are other reasons, but the, if only to see how far they've come. Yeah. Because I tend to think, and a lot of people do, that Pixar just started out <laughs> at, at being the gods of animation that they are. No, you can see they got all so much better. Yeah. And, you know, if you wanted to look at actual 2D hand-drawn animation, same thing. When they first started making animation, it was pretty clunky. Uh, even when you got into the 30s and the first talkies... Uh, everybody, there had to be music, and everybody bounced to whatever song was going yep. on. Yeah, like that's really how it just it, how it worked. You just bounced. It, nowadays <laughs> that kind of makes me a little seasick. Like, yeah. hold still, damn it! <laughs> but uh, and of course they would get phenomenally better. And the thing mm. that's interesting is that once you get past that ten minutes of looking at stuff, going, "Wow, these graphics did not age well. The mm. shadows are barely there. They're so watery and thin, and they the characters look like they're not even, in some cases, touching the surfaces they're standing on." Once you get past that, thankfully, even if it was, shall we say, reminiscent, <laughs> you get to the fact that the point is that it's a good story. That is right? the thing. Mostly. It is the story. It is a very good story, and the voice acting is amazing the voice let's casting, talk about this let's talk about the voice casting yes. i mean start with woody and buzz tom hanks apparently when john lasseter was doing this he only saw tom hanks doing the voice of woody just because he said tom hanks can make anyone likable even when woody is being a jerk and that is true tom hanks you still like him and at times woody is being a huge in- insecure jealous jerk yeah, but I you, you don't stop liking him. I think that I did. I didn't really? when I first saw it, and I think I didn't stop liking him. Uh, you know, the couple of times I would have seen it in the few years afterwards. But watching it today, it was it was really interesting because the film I did not remember it as well as I thought I did, and I understood Woody. But I think that the character, there's a point where I'm like, really? I hmm. I questioned it. Let's put it this way. I won't say I necessarily stopped liking him, but I questioned my feelings for him. Now, mm-hmm. the toys, on the other hand, are really happy to instantly turn on him, which I thought was kind of weird. Mm. Um, and, and instantly like Buzz Lightyear. Uh, I have a question about, before we get too far up topic, but uh, are all toys delusional when they're open? From the box, they they don't really explain that. Although Woody implies, he says, "Oh, come on, we all remember what it's like when we first got here." So it's an implication that toys are like that. Okay. I what I was curious if we're talking about uh, the rules of the world. Yeah. If I, Buzz I, doesn't know he's a toy, why does he know he's not supposed to move when humans are looking at him? Because he well, does. He freezes like everyone else. And since I've screwed up the whole thing, we'll go back to the voices in a sec, but uh, and what are the repercussions for that? Oh, there aren't any. It's, yeah, they can do oh. it. It's, again, that was the thing with the Christmas toy. If you got seen, you died. Which, but in this, it's like, well, we'll get to that later. But, but well, he they breaks, do. The, breaks those rules, you know, th- not just breaks them, but, you know, stomps on them, yeah. burns them down and sows the ground with salt uh, beneath them. And I want to say that that's a mistake. I guess, I except I love that scene so much. 
Yeah, well, we'll we're, Sid's going to be a whole subtopic because I yeah, really yeah. want to talk about Sid. Let's get Sid, back but, to the, the, the casting. So the voices. I want to say that I think that Tim Allen does a surprisingly good job. Like, Tim Allen is not somebody I think of as, as a an actor who has a terrible amount of depth. And that's not saying that he's not a good actor, necessarily. He's not mostly, He's not a Tom Hanks. No, but he's also, like, I know him mostly from his, his show Home Improvement. Mm-hmm. And his character part there is not particularly broad but i think he gets the best lines of the movie oh yeah i mean he said his favorite one of his favorite lines of all his movies is when you are a strange sad little man and you have my pity (laughs) the way he delivers that is beautiful but and you know actually i want to say that the one actor that they really took something from who their reputation of their who they are was really Don Rickles. Yes, Don Rickles is Mr. Potato Head, who is basically being Don Rickles, or being yeah. his stage persona, right down to the point where he uses his line, what are you looking at, hockey puck? And Even though he's actually puck. talking to a real hockey puck. Rickles <laughs> used to call people hockey puck. I don't know why. Right. That was a thing of his. And he has that same acerbic nature and that same angry at everyone. And the yeah. thing I kind of like about the character and the series of movies is he softens as they go along, especially once he meets his wife, Mrs. Potato Head, <laughs> right, in the second which, movie. But yeah. yes, he's perfect. The casting with him is friggin' dead on. I also really like John Ratzenberger as the piggy bank. Well, he will, this will be this will be the beginning of yeah. his being the lucky charm for yeah, Pixar. He, John Ratzenberg plays a voice, often it's a small part, in every single Pixar movie. Yep. I mean, literally from Toy Story to Onward, he is there. You know, Disney picked up one of those later. Do you know who it is? I'm sure you do. Uh, off the top of my head, I do not. Who? Alan Tudyk. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know he was in all of them. I knew he was in not, a lot of them. No, it, at a certain point, and I want to say it's when it might have been ri- around when Lasseter switched jobs, uh. Uh, Alan Tudyk starts showing up in all the Disney films in little parts. He played uh. like he plays the weasel. I think he also plays Duke Weaselton in uh, Frozen. Yes, he does in Frozen. That's right. So, yeah. but uh, so the voices. So I have absolutely no problem with any of the people who do voices in the film. I think nope. they do a great job. My question is, could anybody else have done as good a job? Not the same job. But as good a job could say, and we've had this discussion, professional voice actors have done uh, as good a job. I think so. Yes, me too. It would have been a different movie. It would have been a. They would have had a different style. But of course they could have. That's their wheelhouse, you know. And right. that is a big thing in animation. That is a real problem. We've talked about this before with voice. That yep. Voice actors feel that why you know you don't see them going out for saving Private Private Ryan or right. No, and it it bothers me a lot when people like Chris Rock will come up on the stage during the Oscars and just throw out the idea that, oh, voice acting is the easiest job there is. It's like, well, it's easy for you because no one's asking you to do anything. Yeah, you're just doing yourself. You're doing your Chris Rock routine. You're not actually playing. You're you're playing yourself. You're not trying to create a new voice or a new character. Yeah, no, that was that was a jerk move on his part. Normally, I have a, I like Chris Rock. He's hilarious. I have a lot of respect for him on other things. I think he was way off base on that. And I think he later apologized for it. 
Mm, I don't know that he did, but uh, no. whatever. But at one point, mostly the late 50s through most of the 60s, there were two voice actors doing almost every voice at Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> yeah, that's and that right. was Don Messick Do- and, and Dawes Penelope Butler. <laughs> and if they needed a woman character, sometimes they'd double for that, or they'd pull in Gene Vanderpil, who did Wilma on the Flintstones, or Once in a Blue Moon, uh, B. Benaderet, who was uh, part of the time she was uh, Betty. She got replaced. Yeah, but, but a lot most of, of it, voice- yeah. Most of it was those two. Yeah. Up through even Scooby-Doo, because Don Messick did Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and it's like, that. that to me... That's voice acting. When you can pull off, you know, oh, Huckleberry Hound is the same guy as Yogi Bear, who's the same guy as blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's the same guy. Okay. (laughs) So it's nice that you did Woody. It's nice that you did Buzz Lightyear. And you did a good job. But I really hate it when it takes jobs away from people that that's their their, their one occupation. I get that. It just, it works so well here. Even little things. I like Annie Potts doing the voice of Bo Peep. Is so wonderful because Bo Peep, you expect her to have this high piping, g- silly voice, and Annie Potts has this great throaty purr of a voice. Which, quite honestly, I'm sitting there going, you know, visually Bo Peep is Bo- is not that interesting, but the voice is like, yeah, Woody, go get that. <laughs> <laughs> did did she get replaced in the later films? Yeah, uh, I no, I think she. St- I thought she stayed with it. I I let the okay. look. I, Okay. But I think, well, what later films? She's in this one, and uh, is she in the second? I thought she was in at least three of them. No, because Bo they Peep talk Peep. about Bo, Be- Bo leaving. She shows up. I think she may only be in the first and the fourth. Oh, okay. I thought she just went to the, the little girl's room, but whatever. I don't I'm remember sure. them well enough. Yeah. Uh, I, and I love that Sarge, one of the army men, who only he's only got like a half a dozen lines or so, is Arlie Ermy, the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> who himself was not an actor before that movie. No, he was, in fact, a Marine drill sergeant. <laughs> yeah. I think they had him on on set as a uh, consultant. Like, you know, we need to learn how to do this. And they're just like, I don't see any reason in hiring anybody but this guy. Yep. So, And he made yeah. a career out of it. Good for him. Yeah. Now, the hey, voice... Gotta... Hmm? Go ahead. The voices... The voice casting is just so dead on in this. It's so good. Uh, I have a talking point for you, Max. Yeah. And you may have given it away in the uh, your introduction, but did you have any toys that you were that into? Individual toys, or even a group of toys. That I mean, you were like, I had, this is this is my go-to toy, and I love playing with this toy so much. There were toys like I had my favorite stuffed dog to sleep with, but and to what play was its name? with Morgy, because Morgie. the name on the label was Morgan. Oh, okay. Yep. Hey, I got him when I was like three. That was a, I'm amazed I could pronounce that much. <laughs> and I do still have him in the closet. Do you? I do. Wow. Yep. I literally have not a single toy from when I was a kid. Yeah. I bought them uh, later when I was an adult. <laughs> I'd say my go-to toys were my G.I. Joes when I was a little older. Now, this is the real G.I. Joe. None of this yes. three-and-a-half-inch nonsense, no, the but the full 12, 12 inches. inches. Tall, lifelike oh. <laughs> hair. Kung Fu and grip. Kung Fu grip. <laughs> oh, I had ones without Kung Fu grip. I had the ones with the, pl- the plastic hard hair and the... The hands in the two bizarre positions that I cannot yeah. describe. I think it was T. Yeah, something like <laughs> I always figured they were later years later I wondered if they were like American sign language for G and I. I don't know I don't think they were. Well you know what like, Kung Fu Grip was for, right? No. Uh well we, we oh, probably shouldn't talk oh about it God. on this show. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's a whole lot of the equipment. I mean the weapons. God damn it. (laughs) Well, it's that 12 inches of G.I. Joe. Okay. Yeah, that was the most disgusting thing we've done in the show. I I would have to say it was either G.I. Joe's or more likely really my Corgi cars. Oh, okay. So you and I both the Corgi cars. Oh, my God. Those were my go-tos. Love Uh, my Corgis. My blocks, but also my Star Trek toys. Oh, and okay. in 1975, I think somebody finally put out Star Trek action figures and I had all of them and I had the <laughs> Enterprise and I would go out in little missions and uh, oh my God, I was a huge Star Trek nerd. I can't tell you how many times I built the damn Enterprise. One of the most frustrating things I've ever tried to make. But yeah, so I, and I totally get like, you know, this year it's this toy, this year it's this toy. Stuffed animals, you know, uh, my sister and I, you can remember once, we, I don't know why, how we got so bored. I think we couldn't go outside, but we had a wedding between two of our toys. Oh. And the interesting thing, they were both guys. <laughs> wow. Forward thinking. Our dog Rufus married our dog Rex. <laughs> I have no idea why. Uh, it would be very prophetic in a way. But uh, yeah, we got gathered them all up and lined them up and had a, in the basement we had a little wedding. It was yeah. Oh yeah, I we all I totally get Andy. It's funny, it's embarrassing sometimes to watch when he's doing the story at the beginning of the bank robbery yeah. with well, one-eyed one-eyed Bart and uh my slinky dog with a built-in force field and it's embarrassing because i'm going oh god i remember telling stories just as dopey as that only they were bigger and went on longer (laughs) (laughs) well i liked how you could make anything into just about anything yes so like you know we didn't have like communicators like you there was no toy so like literally almost any two vaguely rectangular pieces of plastic two small pieces of lego or something Yeah. yeah Uh, and of course, Lego had buttons on it, right? So those yep. buttons would do different things when you push them because that's yep. what they were for. They should have. Um, I cannot tell you how many paper plates I stapled together to make the Jupiter Two from Lost in Space. <laughs> um, yeah, and I get pretty like elaborate. Like I would build the little bay for the pod in the bottom wow. and a little sliding door and stuff. And yeah, impressive. Uh, yeah. So yes, we. This movie really speaks to that. It speaks to that kid in us who had the favorite toy, who had the toys that. That the toys just brought our imaginations to life. That yeah, gave us or, a focus. Or eating implements. <laughs> or eating implements, yes. Yeah. It was actually the love of the story. Like, So I love the story of Batman and Lost in Space and Star Trek. And it's like, I need to do this. I need to make this thing. And I guess in a way it was really early cosplay. <laughs> in some ways, yeah. I could see that. But the, th- um, the thing is, it's not simply the toys. It's not just the idea. The plot of this movie is really well done. And the dialogue, the writing is so good. I, well, I love well, just little things like when Woody keeps intentionally mispronouncing Buzz's Buzz's name. Well, excuse me, Mr. Lightbeer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would like to talk about the plot for a second and okay. one specific portion of the plot. Yes. I would like to title this portion of our show, Let's Talk About Sid. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about Sid. Oh, do we? Yeah. So I remember Sid being in this film. And I remember Sid having a part like him blowing stuff up. I didn't remember him having as big a part as he has. Oh, yeah. He's the major antagonist. Oh, is he? Because let me tell you, I'm like, this is the darkest part of any (laughs) Pixar film ever. Because let's look at Sid, shall we? Yeah. How old is Sid supposed to be? Probably... Twelve? Six or seven? Oh, no. No. Oh, no. He's older than six or seven because he has a little sister who's half his size. And I'd put her around six or seven. 
12's too old. Okay. Uh, one thing, he's got braces. So, well, of course, braces are... Yeah. That's Excuse me, I had braces when I was 13. Oh, I didn't know you had braces at all. I did. I had them all through high school. I thought you were just naturally like that. <laughs> nope. No, no. <laughs> I had four uh, teeth pulled. I 12, I think... Uh, let's say I between with, 10 and 12. Okay, I go between 10 and 12, sure. What is wrong with Sid? Because Oh, where Sid, do you start? Oh, my word. So, all right. Sid on his own is a huge problem because he is the most sadistic little horrible child. Now, I'm not saying that that's not realistic because I know that mm. there are kids who did horrible things. And thankfully, Sid takes it out on inanimate objects. And a lot mm. of kids who had problems did not just restrain themselves to inanimate objects. But Sid is a problem. Um, Sid's into punk rock. <laughs> well, I guess. Um, <laughs> or or death metal. He's just like, is he like the most unhappy kid ever? Because it's obvious he has no friends, because the next-door kid won't have anything to do with him. And he never see him with anybody else except his little sister, who he traumatizes. You have to, um, yeah, you really have to wonder about the parents, because he takes her doll away and, like, decapitates it, and there don't seem to be any repercussions. No, and we hear Mom, and Mom seems pretty normal, which does not explain Sid at all. And then we see Sid's father's arm. Right, the one, <laughs> and, yeah. There's an implication there. The implication is that dad's drunk and fallen asleep in front of the TV. In the middle of the day, yeah. Yeah. So that house, and of course the house is not particularly well kept. And, you know, maybe they just don't have that much money. That's fine. But Sid's room, he's 10 to 12 years old and he's got four locks on the door. He also has a full set of tools and they don't seem to have any problem with the fact that he buys and utilizes explosives. Yeah, yeah. Big how league did, how, fireworks. I mean, clearly, that thing strapped to the combat, Carl, that had to be at least an M80. Well, then look at the backyard. Okay, they got a dog. That will explain some of it. But it's basically totally bare. It's just got blast spaces for when he blows stuff mm. up. And they, the parents must know this. The whole neighborhood knows this. Yeah. And then there's other little details that I had never noticed before, and there's reasons I hadn't. But um, the carpet in oh, the yeah. upstairs hallway of <laughs> Sid's Sid Phillips, I think is his name, of the yeah. Phillips family home is the same carpeting from the hotel in The Shining. Yikes! <laughs> Which I don't know if that's like a cause or a result. <laughs> yeah, but did, did Sid choose the carpet? We don't I, know. But yeah, Sid is a problem. The odd thing about Sid is he is in some ways remarkably creative. He doesn't just destroy, he recreates. He builds those weird mutant toys. Now, do you remember when you saw this? And this is asking a lot because it's 25 years ago. Do you remember when we got to the creepy toy scenes? Were there any children crying in your theater? No, I don't th I don't think there were. I remember some kid somebody saying, hearing a kid afterwards saying, do you think you can buy any of those toys from Sid's room? <laughs> and, you know, maybe I underestimate kids, but I'm sorry. The, the doll, one-eyed doll head on the erector set spider thing. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> that was creepy. That was yeah. like something out of H.R. Geiger. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. And so, yes, and they're that, all hiding and frightened. And it's yep. just. That <sighs> Sid's room is a big part of Act 3, and it is very disturbing. And Sid only gets worse. Yeah. It, because it, that's when the thing happens and I'm like, wait, what's the repercussion? So the toys decide, hey, the only way to get away from Sid is we're going to have to show him that we talk and we're animate and stuff. And oh they Lord. haunt him. And it's, it is a great scene. They like rise up out of the sandbox and Woody is talking to him and saying, you know, 
that heart we toys see everything, which, by the way, harkens back to my idea of the theme of this movie being that toys are <laughs> evil and ready to ch- kill our children. But, yeah, I remember thinking, Sid is never going to be right in the head ever now. No! He is going to be in therapy for sister. the... He is going to be in therapy for the rest of his life, or probably he's going to get locked up if he doesn't, because he's going to keep talking about, no, you don't understand, they can move, they were talking to me. Yeah, and, you know, you have to, What you? I can see two different outcomes. Sid is now utterly afraid of any toy ever, or Sid double redoubles his effort to kill any toy that comes near him. Yeah, Like, maybe. utterly destroy it. It's just like, so Sid, to me, is a big problem with this story, because not yeah. only is he incredibly dark, but the resolution for him is even darker than he is. <laughs> the only thing you can hope is because he is fairly young, his mind will, basically, he'll decide he imagined it. I guess, but it's like the film and Andy just move away. <laughs> it's made. It's played off as a joke, and again, yeah. I see that didn't bother me as much because that's just the villain getting his comeuppance. It's like an anvil on the head. Sid is so cartoonish in some ways that you mm. don't. It, I don't feel sympathy for him. I mean, there's oh. one moment when you almost do when he's asleep and he's dreaming, and you hear him mumble, "I want to ride the pony." Yeah. I don't, until I see his dad, or I'm sorry, his dad's appendage, I don't even know if there's a dad attached to it, for all I know, it's a fake arm uh, that drinks beer. Uh, Until I see Sid's dad, it's just that Sid is one of those kids who's just nasty. And there are some kids like that. We all had school bullies and stuff like that, and Sid's just one of those kids. But at the end, it's like, oh, we're going to use our powers for hate. Now, to be fair... Sid had is it coming because Sid is torturous and and sadistic, but I, uh, yeah, but the the argument against the fact the idea what you're suggesting is that the family situation is abusive, or some such. The little girl Hannah seems perfectly normal, but it could just be a father son thing and a mother daughter thing. It's possible. Right? It, again, so, I that's know. reading an awful lot into this into an eighty one minute movie. Well, but the thing is, is they present this, and it's not a tiny little thing. It's a mm. big honking detail, and they don't give us anything to go on except an arm, and probably drunk and passed out, and Sid obviously having trauma in his dreams. So it's sort of like, I I had problems with it. I think that it was less smooth storytelling than it could have been. Interesting. And interestingly, that it comes up a lot. Me. Never bothered and I know me. that you, I know you have this opinion, and I, I'm on sort of in the same boat as you are. A lot of people think the plot Toy Story Two is even better than the first one. It used to mm. be that I thought that they were kind of equal, and now I'm very much leaning towards the second one. I think yeah, the second I, I, one's a much better story. I think it is. I think it's a more interesting story. It's felt more, more fleshed out. Although there are some themes in this one, I'd like to talk about at some point that are pretty remarkable. Yeah. And again, again, I. The relationship between Buzz and Woody, I like the way, I think it develops very organically. I like how they move from antagonist to friends. I like the fact that the song that they start with, You've Got a Friend in Me, which you will hear over and over and over, initially clearly refers to Andy and Woody, and then eventually clearly refers to Woody and Buzz. Yeah. And I think I just... that's really nice. There are a couple of really kind of heart-rending scenes in this, and one is when... Woody realizes he's been discarded when he ends mm. up in the toy chest or behind the bed. Mm-hmm. And that 
that's not just, I've lost my place of power or I've lost my importance. It's he loves Andy. Mm. And he's heartbroken because their relationship is changing. And that's a big thing in this movie is relationships that grow and change and how some people won't let that happen. They can't stand the idea of a relationship changing. Right. And that is heartbreaking. And also in Sid's house, the moment when Buzz sees the ad on TV for Buzz Mm. Lightyear and finally realizes that Woody has been telling him the truth and that he is a toy. And (laughs) you can just see it's partly it's the animation because he doesn't have any lines. That's one of the few times the facial expressions really work. His whole world falls apart. It's like everything I thought was a lie. And in some ways... And he goes and drowns himself in fake tea. Yeah, that's... How does he get drunk off of fake tea? I... mm. (laughs) I did like his line. Next thing you know, you're drinking Darjeeling with Marie Antoinette and her little sister. Because he's (laughs) having tea with two headless dolls. What was his name at that point? It's like, I'm not Buzz, I'm Mrs... Mrs. Nesbitt. Nesbitt. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great sequence, because it is funny, but also it's kind of tragic. Yeah. And I like, and Woody's explanation is is really brief and to the point and poignant. You are a toy over there in that other house is a kid who who loves you, who thinks you're the greatest thing in the world. There is nothing better than that. That's so much better than being a space ranger. But yet I'll never feel that again. Oh, but we'll yeah. deal with that later, shall That's we? That's the thing. And he comes to yeah. accept that. He's like, no, you have to get back. You it could I have to make sure you get back to Andy. Initially, it's, I have to get you back to the room so my friends won't be mad at me. Now it's like, no, I have to get you back because Andy will miss you. Mm. Um, I should have mentioned this in the, in the uh, voices thing, but uh, did you miss Penn Jillette? Because I did. <laughs> I did, too. Until I saw it in the credits. But, yeah, he's the voiceover, the announcer in the Buzz yeah. Lightyear commercial. I- Pretty sure that's the last time Penn Jillette will work for Disney. Uh, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's 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 a good journey for character development, right? So we get to see Woody. I, I, I was a little surprised. I didn't remember that the other toys... Because he starts the whole show basically seeing how everyone's doing, making sure everything's on, on track, and really seeming, at least, to use his position of being head toy or most favorited toy... Uh, to try and help out the group, and they turn on him pretty quickly. But yeah, that I buy more... that. I buy that. You know why? Because nobody ever really likes the guy on top. There's always a certain. You can tell some of these guys may have been Andy's favorite at another point. They're the, the I'm betting. Really? I bet. Well, maybe not the binoculars, <laughs> but, but I'm betting, especially people like the Potato Head, are jealous of Woody. They don't. They're jealous of his position. And I, I think that's why where it comes from, because the ones who really care about him, like Bo Peep and Slinky, don't want to believe that he hurt yeah. Buzz. And they're the last ones to be convinced. I mean, I suppose it makes sense. If, if anybody's going to turn on you quickly, it's going to be Don Rickles. Yeah, let's face it. Don Rickles doesn't like anybody. And John Ratzenberger, yeah, because, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it is also a short film. It is not yeah. that long. Uh, it's, it's just short of an hour and a half, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, um, yeah, it's an eighty-one minutes, hour twenty-one yeah, minutes. It's very short, and even the final sequence, the the cha- the chase scene, that is mm-hmm. so well done. And at it's that a lot point, of fun. you don't, except for the dog. dog Most of the yeah. motion is really I, the dog running. I, 
I'm glad they they show as few shots of it because it's jarring. How... I couldn't tell which was worse, the fur or the fact that it looked like oh. it was bouncing along made of plastic. Yeah, yeah, that was just but, that was bad. But and this is this is an argument that a lot of animation aficionados have about, for want of a better term, CG animated films, and that yeah. is. It really doesn't matter how you animate it. What matters is the story. Yeah. And here, the story helps us make up for the fact that the animation and the art really have aged. And they haven't aged particularly well. Um, And those moments, like you said, we can see them and we can wince a little. But thankfully, the story is good enough that we can get past them. And I don't know. It's hard to remember back 25 years. But... I remember being blown away by how oh, yeah. it looked because we'd never seen anything like this. No, I didn't. I used to hate computer animation in the early days. I thought well, it you looked know weird. It looked weird, and most people took computer animation. They're like, "Well, look what I can do!" And it was all about morphing one thing yeah. into another, and it was yeah. very abstract. And it was like, "Okay, that's cool." And Lasseter was one of the first people to come along and like, uh, "You know, you could make a story out of this." Mm-hmm. And he made us care about a freaking desk lamp. Yes. There are no eyes, there's no face, there's nothing. It is a desk lamp. And he makes us fall in love with Luxo Jr., who's obviously just a smaller version, but is meant to be a kid, playing with a ball. Or the and, tin toy, which has no lines. No. And it's still very moving. You know, actually, the tin toy was supposed Nick-nack. to be Woody. Knick-knack was the, the snow, the snow glab. Oh, okay, that was it. Yeah. The tin toy was supposed to be the main character in this movie. Was going to be oh. the little drummer, you know, wind up okay. drummer boy was supposed to be the Woody character, but they argued, and I think accurately, that for 1995, n- nobody had those. That was, you know, nobody, nobody, had, nobody had cowboy toys either, but well, well that's, you know, yeah. well, that, that makes for a good part of Toy Story 2. Yeah, and which so that, that part, works that out. part they bring up, by the way, is absolutely true. In the 1950s, all the kids wanted to be cowboys, and they were all playing with cowboy toys until Sputnik. Yeah, and that one event, and then the, yep. the beginning of the space race, they all wanted to play with space toys and astronauts, and or army stuff and that kind of thing. Because there's lots and lots of yeah. army stuff. Oh yeah. Um, I, I before we get to the end though, I, I really do want to stop off at uh, at uh, Lassiter Station. Sure. So this is one. This film falls into a little bit, a little bit less, but still into that category of. Can I still watch this? Uh, because of yeah. course, John Lassiter has turned out to be less of the cool cool human being that we thought he was. Yeah. And I don't think we can watch this and not or do this show and not at least mention that yes, we do do understand the problem that is John Lasseter. The problem enough that he eventually had to leave Disney. Um, now it's touted as oh he had other opportunities and disney didn't fire him but it's pretty well known that there was not going to be any more lassiter at disney um and it it is a shame and i don't understand it and i also don't understand the culture that allows this thing to go on for decades because it did yeah but this is you know i just wanted to bring up just so people didn't think well don't you know and it's like yeah we know and we know and yes we do have it is difficult and I have a problem with Lasseter. And it's a shame because, of course, you look at this and go, well, the only reason we are, have Pixar films, the only reason we have CG animation for animated films 
is because somebody took a chance on this one guy who's proved you could tell a story with this. Yeah. And some also other people, people who are in the hand-drawn animation, but just might go, curse you, John Lasseter! <laughs> yeah, I'm sure uh, his face is on a lot of dartboards and a lot of animation studios. Yeah, but yeah. there you go. Um, yeah, uh, that's yeah. that's it for my notes, except for Hakuna Matata. It's like, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got but one it other... gets worse. Hmm? It, oh, the, the Easter eggs for Disney films will oh, get far worse than Lord. that. Yeah, I, I have one question. How physically strong are these toys? Because um, Woody opens the back of a moving van by himself. He slides the door up. Yeah. How? Uh, I also <laughs> want to know why do they need to breathe, but whatever. Because <laughs> there's that's one point also, where... That's right. Yeah. Well, he's gasping. By that time, my lungs were aching okay. for air. Thank you, Lloyd. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. The the the. So we get into the magic problem, right? Yeah. yeah. And anytime you introduce magic into something, into a story, you have a responsibility as a storyteller to tell us what the rules are. And most of the time, you do it fairly simply and fairly obviously. And we go, okay, cool. That you, that's the rules. That's how magic works. We're going to deal with it. Some franchises do it better than others. Harry Potter. Um, and that's not one of the ones that does it better, uh, by the way, Magiclorians. But here, like Max just pointed out, we have toys that have various levels of strength because he opens up the back of a moving van and then later he buzzes having trouble pushing a toolbox. Um, we also have the problem with them moving when kids are around because initially it's like, oh, you can't do that. And then later it's like, well, you can. So wait, is there a repercussion for that or not? Yeah, who because sets I'm telling these you, rules. That's how do they know about the? Well, again, this mm. does not in any way. I'm not. I don't want to make it sound like this ruins the movie. It no. doesn't. But if you're looking at it critically, yeah. it raises some odd questions. And the thing is, it's so the storytelling is so well done. They could have done a little. They don't have to. I don't need 20 pages of you know rules with pluses and minuses and uh, initiative rolls and such to explain how <laughs> these things 20. work. <laughs> you know how these things work, but just a little like okay, why? You know, why are you afraid well, of will will toys then be forced to do manual labor or what? And I, I'm actually going to go out here. I know you like the scene. We really didn't need to have them break the rule because the only thing they needed to do was escape Sid and get back to Andy. Andy moved. Sid is then removed from the equation. He's not a problem anymore. Yeah, but I think that was also a, a sort of a moment of Woody's growth as a character because he doesn't want to just save himself and Buzz. He wanted. He wants to make it better for his new friends. He wants the lives of Sid's toys to be better. He wants he to remove been... Sid as a threat to all toys. Well, I mean, the one thing you could have possibly have also done is just remove the toys from the equation, help them escape. Everybody gets out. But no then he would have just behind. gotten new toys and tortured them. But again, He's, Sid he, would be out of the equation. We wouldn't see Sid. He'd we be wouldn't off-screen. see him, but he'd still be there. Woody knows that. I think Woody actually takes a larger worldview there. I, I, I have problems with Sid. And, okay, you know, we that's fine. That. I, I, you make good points on that. That's very true. But yeah, I, I think it, I still think it works in the story. That's just one of those things that you and I just don't quite see eye to eye on. Yeah. But speaking of things that you and I don't see quite eye to eye on, I think it's that time. <laughs> I think you're wrong. No. There you see. Uh, excuse me, I'm right. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> the show is never going to end. Nope, that's right. The show is eternal. You're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you're stupid. 
round up. So okay, gumball for brains. <laughs> yeah. So does this movie hold up? Do we still? I, think I mean, it's general, pretty. I think it's pretty clear from most of this show. I think it does. The animation, yes, it's dated. Yes, it yeah. hurts. But the voice acting, the story, the dialogue is so good. Even I, that stupid Randy Newman music oh. still works. You know, when he first sings a song, it's like, oh, yeah, this song. And then it's like, I didn't remember him singing two other songs. And I'm tired of that voice, that that moist voice. (laughs) It's just, I just, I don't know. It just drove me nuts. It's been too long, honestly. But back then, it really worked. My favorite, Uh, I I still love in, I think, Toy Story 3, when they do a Spanish version of You've Got a Friend in Me. And I think it's the Gypsy Kings who sing it. I'm not sure. But then it's it's awesome. Because, of course, by Toy Story 3, we all thought, oh, good, they ended this. They ended it well. Good good wrap-up, guys. Re- what, what? Four? Yeah. Uh, do we? Okay, I guess we'll do a four. There were things that's... in four I enjoyed, but yeah, but, four was utterly yeah. unnecessary. Three, that is one of the rare times where you have a trilogy that keeps getting better. I don't know if I like three better than two, but I think it was still solid. And if and I went was... back to watch it, I'd probably like it better than one. So I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, that being said, we, if you want to know what we thought of four, you can go and listen because we did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was way back when uh, in theaters now. Our That's, right. That's right. That's um, right. I think it does hold together. I'm going to say that the animation, if you're one of the members of the intended audience, in other words, small kids, I don't think you're going to notice. I don't think you're going to care. Um, the story, does, like you said, and the voices and the writing holds up enough that as little kids, they're going, they're not even going to notice that. Um, there are issues. Um, one of which is that the story may or may not have been directly, shall we say, stolen. <laughs> uh, the fact that I think that Sid's part of the film is a lot darker than I remember it being, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. I question it. Um, I question my liking for Woody. Uh, I wonder if they didn't take him too far, but I probably don't think that's a big deal. Um it didn't hold together as well as I remembered. That being said, it was still a fun movie. I wouldn't yeah. say it was one of Pixar's absolute best. On the other hand, it led to all of the rest of Pixar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would say that for... I don't think we get a lot more animated films for the 90s, but I'm sure the folks over at Disney could hear the bell tolling. It's like, uh, why are you taking my pen? <laughs> you're, you're not going to be needing that. Yeah. Um, and of course, at this point, Apple still owns Pixar, right? Disney right. was just distributing it. Oh yeah, Steve so, Jobs still had a lot of uh, impact on uh, Pixar. Yeah, so Pixar, in a way, proved a lot of things. They proved you can use computers for this stuff. They proved we don't have to be owned by a major corporation to do this, except Apple, which I don't <clears> think Apple really had much of a hand in it. I think they just <clears> let them do their thing. Um, I don't even think they used Apple computers. I think they were all cray at that point. Oh, um, I, I don't know. Do you have any idea what a Cray computer cost in 1995? I know, but they needed that kind of power to actually render this stuff. I think they just set up a whole lot of Beowulf clusters. I'm not, I honestly don't know what they used. Please don't remind me of Beowulf. Just no. <laughs> that, I, I'm still not over Anthony Hopkins' It's a hardware protocol. I don't, I don't mean, yes, <laughs> that naked Anthony Hopkins animated. Yeah, I think it's a film that I remembered more fondly. Uh, than I than it was. That being said, it's fine. If you liked Toy Story, if you love Toy Story, you probably still love Toy Story. And if you haven't seen it in a while, go ahead and watch it. It's I and I don't I think, think so. that being think critical well hurts it. Watching. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like, cool, we learned a lot of stuff from this film. Let's go and do better, which is kind of their mantra, and they kind of prove it. So, yeah, sure, thumbs up. So, so speaking of going on, what are we watching next week? Well, next week, uh, I'm, I'm leaning back towards the indie careful careful to say that word properly you have to swallow your own nose or be french uh next we're going to go back to the auteur side of things there is a a director 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 (laughs) who uh seems to have gotten his start in the 90s as part of this independent renaissance thing who is much better known today than he was then and I'm not going to pick his first film. I'm actually going to pick his second film because it's the film that really started to open the door to what would later become the true one and only Wes Anderson. Next week, I think we're going to take a trip back to private high school. We're going to Rushmore. Oh, okay. Now, I think you haven't seen this, have you? I have never seen Rushmore. It stars Jason Schwartzman and uh, uh, Bill... Uh, Murray? I can't think. Murray. <laughs> I gotta tell you, this whole age thing sucks. <laughs> Have I mentioned it lately? Sucks. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, Bill Murray, that uh, that lesser-known actor that would go on to do, yeah. Right. Oh, no, no, We everybody knows him as Brian Doyle Murray's brother. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Doyle Murray. Yes, the Jim Belushi of yeah. film. Um, no, so yeah, we're going to be watching Rushmore and seeing if oh. uh, any of those little foxes or, hey, if we can pick out any of those Wes Anderson things, like the way he shoots all his frames dead on or... The color pink, or all those other Wes Anderson-y things, Annual are there writers. in the beginning. <laughs> Rushmore. 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 More. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. <laughs> <laughs>